Good morning. Welcome to Battleground Community. If you're watching online or whether you're here, I want you to turn to two places as we get started. First, Joshua chapter 6 is where we're going to be today. We're going to work through that chapter. And yes, I have added a message again. And uh, so we're going to be in these battles for the, this week and next week. Working through chapter 6 all the way to chapter 12. But I thought Jericho needed its own treatment. And, and so that's what we're going to do today. So the first battle as we have sort of turned the corner in the book of, of Joshua is Jericho. And, uh, and, and so if you got your place in Joshua 6, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to begin in Ephesians and then next week I'm going to we're going to come back to Ephesians 6 because the battle for Jericho and the battles in your life, the ones you are in now, the ones you have fought, and the ones there is still to fight are really spiritual battles. And spiritual battles must be fought by faith and God's power and as we see God's justice and His mercy not only in our lives, but in the lives of others. And so let us orient ourselves not only towards this actual battle in, in Joshua, but the spiritual one. In Ephesians 6 and verse 10, it says, Finally, now, let me stop there for a minute. He's saying, finally, because he has spent the book of Ephesians telling us not only good theology, but then what do we do with good theology? How we live that out. And so he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces in the heavenly places. Let's pray. Lord, uh, as we open up Joshua chapter 6 and orient ourselves toward the spiritual battle that is ours to fight. Lord, help us to rest in some wonderful truths that you give us today and, and next week. Lord, our Jerichos don't all look the same, but they're all the same in the sense that they look insurmountable to stand before us. And so, Lord, we come to you to see how do we fight? Teach us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this week and next week, I want to look at four realities about the battles that are before us. This week is this, that sometimes the Lord of hosts fights for us. That's good news, isn't it? Sometimes he fights for us. That's chapter 6. And then next week, we're going to look from chapter 7 to chapter 12. And we're going to learn sometimes we seek to fight the battles with sin in the camp. We're going to see the reality of that. Sometimes we seek to fight the battles on our own without God. But praise the Lord as we grow and mature, we learn to fight our battles with the Lord of hosts, following Him. And so, the story of Jericho, we've heard this story many times if you've been in the church much. Jericho was a key city. It, along with Ai, represented, as it were, the high ground. They were well fortified. Most people think the walls of Jericho was probably about 20 feet thick, 25 feet high, 
and on top of those walls you could see for miles and so this they were able to see um, the Israelites coming across the Jordan if you wonder how many men how many people here are we talking about well in Numbers 26 they did a census and what we're talking about here in Israel is 600,000 men armed ready to fight you get that number in your head there's what in Kings Mountain 10 12,000 people 600,000 came across just the men not counting the rest of the women and the children so this plan this battle began with a promise what was the promise I'm going to give you Jericho as a gift so God's going to fight the battle of Jericho this seemed like I remember a little song we used to sing when we were kids God, God was going to fight the battle he's going to hand it to you what what God tells Joshua is, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to the city, and I want you to walk in silence. There's only going to be the shofar. We're going to talk about that in a minute. That's going to be blowing. I want you to put the Ark of the Covenant in front with the priest, and y'all are going to circle around. For six days, you're going to walk around this city once, and you're going to go back to the camp. God, as it were, is going to encircle the city. It's His. But on the seventh day, I want you to do something different. On the seventh day, you're going to walk around the city seven times. And when I tell you to, you're going to tell your men to shout, and I will knock the walls flat. They will be so flat that every person can simply turn towards the city and walk straight in. This was the plan. That wasn't all the plan. He said, when the walls fall, you will devote every living thing in the walls to destruction you will burn the city but all the treasures will belong to me to God because this is my battle and so they did day by day they went out marched by faith blew the trumpets by faith and went back to camp by faith and on the seventh day, they did exactly what he said to do. And God's knocked the walls down just like he said he would. And they obeyed by faith every single word God told them to do, including the salvation of Rahab and her family, this person that showed faith in Yahweh. If you get to the end of the story and you read it, Joshua actually pronounces a curse on any person that dares try to rebuild Jericho. If someone tries to build Jericho, it will cost them their firstborn. And years later, somebody tried to rebuild it, and guess what happened? I'll let you look that up for yourself. So this is history. This is not some tale. This is history. But listen, this is also an illustration of your life and my life. The Christian life is made up of both war and peace. Just listen to this passage, Acts 14, verse 21. It says, When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. Verse 22, Strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, Through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. We have been saying this. We are on the way to a land of promise, but we won't get there without a fight. In this life, there is war. Both war and peace. The good news 
is that we fight from the victory and we are supposed to walk in that victory but we must keep our eyes on the promise the promise is both in, in scripture throughout all the scripture we see this tension it is the already and the not yet the now and what's coming John calls this the abundant life some people call it the blessed life and then they define it by some secular terms. A blessed life cannot be defined by the American dream or anything else that a sinful heart wants. Here's what God's word says in Psalm 1611. You have made known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's the only place there are. But here's the promise of the Bible. You don't have to wait till eternity to experience joy and peace. You can have it now, but here's what you will experience. There is a lack of fullness in what you experience. There is something missing. There is more to come. And that is true. Isaiah 26 verse 3 says, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you, who is, is fixed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord is an everlasting rock. No matter how healthy your relationships are, no matter how godly and healthy physically your spouse is, one day, one of you is going to leave. We all do. One day, either the parents will have to bury the children or the children will bury the parents. Nobody gets out of this. There's only one immovable person in your life and it's God. And whenever whoever means the most to you has to move to their next home, God will be here and He will never change. Nor will He ever leave you. Do you trust Him? Are you walking in that kind of life? The Bible tells us in Hebrews 4, we're going to come back here but I want you to see this. I want you to introduce this. Let's listen to this passage. Hebrews 4, beginning at verse 9. Hebrews 4, 9. It says, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that one may not fall by the same sort of disobedience. A disobedience being the pathway that the Israelites chose and following idolatry. There is only one place of rest, and it's not a day of the week. The place of rest is Jesus. He is your Sabbath. He is what we enter in through, through faith. And there is no peace and there is no joy in this life save Jesus Christ. He is our rest, and we carry it with us till we enter until we see Him face to face. That's good news. The blessed life comes through answering some questions, the questions of identity, of purpose, of destiny, and you cannot answer them except the relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you don't answer them, then you will just seek for religion. You will simply seek pie in the sky by and by. The way we know we will have it then is that we have it now. This is the good news, but there is an obstacle. Augustine called this the city of man. We could call that today our Jericho. It's an obstacle. It's insurmountable. It involves this world and its economy. Uh, 1 John 5.19 says, We know that we are from God. 
and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So this world, we are living, we are camped out on enemy territory. But listen, good news. Galatians 1.4 says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Yes, we live in a broken world and we have obstacles in front of us and many of them are evil and sinful and dark. But God has won a victory. So how do we fight? Faith triumphs through faith in our warrior God as we seek to obey by faith and rest in the promises of certain victories. Sometimes in this fight, sometimes God fights for us. So if that's the case, what am I supposed to do? I, if God's going to fight for me, I'm just going to sit on the couch. He can send me a text message when he's done. I, it's not the way it works. It, Here's what I want us to see today. In this battle, God's going to fight for them. But I want you to see some of the things that they're doing and some of the things they must do. They first must be sure. They must be sure. What are they supposed to be sure of? Well, look at verse 1 and 2. That he has given us the victory. Now, Jericho was shut up, verse 1, up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See? I have given Jericho into your hands with its kings and mighty men of valor. So they have already went through one obstacle. Do you remember? To Jordan. Only to face another one. Both of them overwhelming. These walls were, were bent to withstand whatever anybody could throw at them. Some 20 feet thick. Both of these would be overcome effortlessly the power of God but here's the difference between this battle while we wanted to set this one off separate no normal battle plans no swords no spears no bat no battling rams no siege ramps none of those things in that day none of that would come to bear here the the instructions were specific marching and trumpets and priests and the arcs and they were only allowed to say something one time at the end, and that was a shout. All of this was based, that they were about to encounter, was based on trust and obedience in a God that is able. There was no military strategy here. This was a ceremony, if you, if you read it. It was a ritualistic ceremony. Dare we call it a worship service of sorts. It was a ceremony to declare victory this is interesting. They had two types of trumpets in that day. One was made of silver, and one was a ram's horn. Uh, they call that ram's horn a shofar. The, the language here in the text, the Hebrew, is the word for shofar. You say, why is that a big deal? Because the Jews only used a shofar during celebrations. Its root word is the word for jubilee. This was, as it were, God telling them to announce the year of Jubilee was here for the people as they entered into this land. They were making a lap of victory before the race began. That was what this was about. As it were, in this time of war, they were already told to celebrate. 
connect this to the gospel this morning. Colossians 2, 15 says this about you and me. And you were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with all of its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to an open shame by triumphing over them in him. This should be, make a jubilant response. That's what they're saying. Be sure the victory is won. Be sure these walls, they're going to come down. This is the online question always. Do you trust me? Then be sure. Look at verse 5. And when they had made a long blast with the ram's horn... When you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, everyone straight before them. Now, as you read the text carefully, what it appears to be happening here is that God tells Joshua the whole plan. But Joshua gives the plan to the, to the people that are leading the army day by day. This was quite a test. This is the point. It was a national test of faith. To experience a blessed life, you've got to step out on faith and obey. Even when you don't see any cracks in the wall, you've got to keep doing it. You've got to keep obeying and keep trusting. You've got to be sure that this wall is going to come down. Because you see, we'll see this next week. The issue is not the Canaanites, it's not the wall. It's Israel. It is not a walled city. It is a hard heart that's the issue. Can we be confident that that wall will be knocked down? Psalms 108.12 says this, Oh, grant us help against the foe, for vain is the salvation of man. With God we shall do valiantly. It is He who will tread down our foes. Are you sure of that? He said, Be sure. But we're going to take the city. If, if you want to know where that little phrase forward by faith come from, it comes right here. When I was studying this and thinking about what God wants us to do here, this was the passage. Verse 6. So Joshua the son of Nun called the priest and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant. And let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ranholms before the ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Go forward, march around the city, and let the armed men pass on before the ark of the Lord. God goes before us, encircling the city. What our responsibility to do is to go forward by faith. This language means advance, cross over. It's the same thing he told them to do with the Jordan. It's what we said last week. Yes, we got, we got some a challenge before us with the cost to build the building. But this we said, we were not going backwards. We are going to go forwards, but we will only go forward by faith together. That's what he's saying. God will fight for us, but we must be sure. And listen, we must be still. We must be still. This stillness looked like silence. Look with me at verse 10. But Joshua commanded the people, You shall not shout 
or make your voice heard, neither shall any word go out from your mouth until the day I tell you to shout. Then you're going to shout. This was hard. Can you imagine? Boy, aren't you glad they didn't have phones in that day? They'd have had to leave them in the camp, wouldn't they? They'd have been walking around going, you know, sending off little, little snarky text messages to the enemy. Some really aggressive, and for us passive-aggressive people, we would just be sarcastic. None of that. No complaints in the marching. No taunts to the enemy. No morale-building music. Just that shofar-blowing silence. It's important here. I hope you see the spiritual point. It's only when we take time to be still that you can reflect on anything of God's power, God's provision, and His promises. You do not reflect on them by listening to something on your way to work. You need to take time. This takes time. That's why Jesus rose early. And most men and women who accomplished anything in this life would get up before anybody else got up so that they may listen for the Lord. This takes time. This was a reverent silence. Before war comes worship. Before war comes worship. They must pass by the presence of God. They need to be reminded that without Him, they couldn't do anything. They will learn this lesson. We learn it by faith. And we will learn it in life. Why are they making this victory lap first? Because God is teaching them they need to wait in a silent anticipation. They need to wait on their commander to speak and, he, and him to act. Ex, Exodus 14, 14 says this, The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. Be sure, be silent. But, look at the end of verse 10, be ready. Because when he tells you to shout, we need to shout. Silence is not a passive experience. We are silent so that we can hear our commander when he tells us to do something. We don't want to miss it. God don't need you. We need him. And when he speaks, we need to hear him. And when he says go, we need to go. Are you ready? The Bible says, here's how you know you're ready. Are you ready for him to come back? This is eschatological, really, this readiness. Let me just, you say, what does that mean? Well, let me just read a couple of passages. Matthew 24, 44 says this, Therefore you must, you must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. This readiness involves preparation and anticipation. Preparation and anticipation. Just listen to this time. Listen to the parallels of Joshua 1 Thessalonians 4.16 For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with Him in the clouds to meet Him in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. 
This, brothers and sisters, is no secret. There's no secret here. This could be no more a secret than them walking around the Jericho blowing a horn and nobody knows what's happening. No, this is going to be visible. You're going to hear it when the Lord comes back. And when the Lord says go, guess what we're going to do? We're going to go. God is fighting for us, but we must need to be sure of the victory. We need to listen to the command of our commander. And above all, and this is the hard part in this passage, we've got to be obedient. This obedience is going to get harder as it unfolds. Look at verse 12. Then Joshua rose in the early morning, and the priest took up the ark of the Lord, verse 13. And the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets, the horns before the ark of the Lord, walked on, and they blew the trumpets continually. And the armed men who were walking before the Lord and the rear guards was walking after the ark while the trumpets blew continually. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned to camp. And so they did for six days. I want you to see that sometimes you need to be obedient and you don't see the results. Sometimes God calls us to obedience and we just don't see the results. Six days they marched in silence. Six days... They blew them horns. And six days they went back to camp. Nothing happened. Not even a crack. Not even a rock fell out of the wall during that time. So what's the point? The battle is not under their control. The results aren't either. Are they? They belong to God. What was their responsibility? Obedience. Obedience. That was their responsibility. God's word is the only thing that gives us both who our enemies are and how we're supposed to fight them. You don't do that by joining a political party. You do it by understanding the word of God. Because here's the truth this morning. You don't win souls. And neither do I. We simply plant seeds. I don't break the strongholds in your life and you cannot break them in my life. That's the spirit of God's problem and that's His mission. Our job is to be obedient by faith. My, God, my job is to invest in your life and you are to invest in mine but I cannot break the power of sin in somebody's life. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. But make no mistake, we've been talking about this and we're going to keep talking about it. God is calling us to amputate sin in our life that we've grown attached to. My anxiety makes me feel like I'm in control. So though I complain about it, I still hold on to it. Because what would life look like if I'm not in control? The Bible's telling you sin needs to be cut off, keep cutting it off, keep repenting. Until it doesn't come anymore. Victory comes. Here's the point. But it doesn't come overnight. Sometimes you got to labor and you don't see results. And sometimes you need to be patient even without answers. This was the test. Day by day. What are we doing today, boss? You want to go march around the city again? Keep your mouth shut. March around the city and come back. What are we doing today, boss? Going to get up, going to be quiet, going to go march around that city, and going to come back. 
what are we doing today? Give me something different. Can I at least throw a rock or something? Be quiet. What's the point? Faith requires patience. It requires perseverance. Hebrews 11.30 says this wall fell by faith. That was their part. Every spiritual battle in your life has a test on the inside of it. Every battle. Every person that we're praying for who will not give us the time of day. Our job is to obedient to the mission by faith. Because not only do we pray for their salvation, God is teaching us something. Do you remember when Jesus was feeding the, going to feed the 5,000 in John 6? You remember what he said to the disciples? Uh, how y'all going? Y'all take care of that. They're hungry. What are we supposed to do? Uh, the text said that Jesus already knew what he was going to do. It was bigger than just the 5,000. Jesus didn't have a problem with knocking the walls down or feeding 5,000 people. But we have a problem with trusting him. And so he teaches us. There must be obedience. And listen, this is the hard part of the message. There must be a resolve to their obedience. And I'm using the word devotion here in your notes. Be devoted. You're going to have to finish this. We just can't quit and go home once the walls fall down. Can't say, well, that was easy. No, no, they're not done with their obedience. Listen to Hebrews 12, 1. Having been through Hebrews 11 by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely to us, and let us run the race with endurance that he has set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We need to finish it. And that must mean we need to be, we need to be resolved to two things. First is his justice, and then it is his mercy. We must accept God's justice. And listen, we are wholesale in this country ignorant of it. We don't study it. We don't go to churches who preach it. We just rather hear about His mercy. There is no mercy without justice. And it will never mean anything to you, the good news of Jesus Christ, until you see yourself for who you are. And this is what's about to happen here. Because there's wicked people inside that wall. There are no innocent people inside that wall. And here's what he says in verse 16. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpet, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Verse 17. And the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. The, the bulk of verses 17 to 19 is telling them how do we deal with Jericho's people and what do we do with Jericho's treasures. This is going to create the problem next week. First, he made it clear. Everybody inside those walls are to be devoted to the Lord. And that text, this is why we like the ESV, is very clear. They are to be completely destroyed. This is not a new thing, and there is a reason for this. Just listen to Deuteronomy 13. 
verse 12 this is a little lengthy but it's important to understand this important issue Deuteronomy 13 verse 12 if you hear in one of your cities which the Lord your God is giving you to dwell there that there are certain worthless fellows have gone out among you and have drawn away the inhabitants of their cities saying let us go and serve other gods which you have not known then you shall inquire and make search and ask diligently and behold if it be true and certain and certain that such an abomination has has been done among you you shall be surely put the inhabitants of that city to the sword the sword devoting it to destruction all who are in it and its cattle with the edge of the sword verse 16 you shall go you shall gather all of its spoils in the midst an open square and burn the city and all its spoils with fire as a whole burnt offering to the Lord your God it shall be a heap forever and it shall not be built again none of the devoted things shall stick to your hands that the Lord may turn from the fierceness of his anger and show you mercy and have compassion on you and multiply you as he swore to your fathers if you obey the voice of the Lord your God keeping all his commandments and I am commanding you today and doing what is right in the sight of your Lord could it be do we have problems with these passages in scripture because we so seldom see God's justice poured out like this in scripture most of the times that we see we're seeing mercy and patience and long suffering could it be that we don't understand the serious nature of our sin before a holy God and what that sin deserves because if we did here's what we would be asking today why am I here and not in hell how could God let me get out of my toddler years, much less my teenage years, and not poured his wrath out on me for what I deserved. For I knew the truth and I did my sin anyway. Lying and stealing and cheating, dishonoring my parents, disobeying every command of the Ten Commandments on a daily basis sometimes. And still, here we sit safe, secure children of God. If you don't start in the right place, you will never end in the right place. You must see who you are without Christ so that you may understand what it means to be in Christ. Make no mistake, the walls of Jericho will fall and justice is coming. Second, this obedience, this resolve involve the treasures that they're going to see when they go into the city. And here's what God says, they belong to me. Uh, verse 19, But all the silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the God, and they shall go up into the treasury of the Lord. You see, ordinarily when the soldiers would go in and they would defeat an enemy, they would enjoy the spoils of that war. That was normal in that. But here, there's two things going on. One is, the battle was the Lord's. He was winning it. Not only that, this was the first battle. And so the principle of the first fruits came into bear. The first and the best go to the Lord. Both of these came to bear in here. We're not really sure where the treasury was. The temple wasn't built yet. In the future, 
That treasury, when they says this, was always meant it went into the temple. But it was to be set apart from the Lord. Here's the point of all of that. The devoted must obey, verse 20 and 21. So the people shouted and the trumpets were blown. As soon as people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted a great shout and the walls fell down flat so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. Then they devoted all the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, donkeys with the edge of the sword. This is the sobering climax of the story. Unless we say that doesn't sound fair, let Scripture answer for us this morning. Romans 9.14 says, What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion, so that it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Brothers and sisters, that's the truth. Sin brings judgment. So cut it off. God's instructions are clear. So obey them, whatever it costs. There is another principle here that we need to reflect on. It is wiser, brothers and sisters, to first question your understanding rather than question God's application. Because God is holy and we are not. We need to be aware of something. And it's in verse 18 that there is going to be a high cost to the undevoted. Look at verse 18. But you, that means everybody that's going to go into the city, keep yourself from things devoted to destruction. Listen, this is going to be important for next week. Lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble on it. Now, if you're going to get next week's sermon, you need to get this. There was a dude named Achan. He was one of the warriors. Listen, he was only one of 600,000. One in 600,000 decided, I'm going to take that with me. I'm going to take that which is devoted. It's just too good to pass up. You see, he had been physically circumcised. But he had not been spiritually circumcised. His heart was not wholly devoted to God. And we'll see what next week what happens. In the midst of this justice, we see mercy. Look at verse 22 and 25. In the midst of judgment, we see this message. Tells the two spies, remember the ones that went in to start with? Says, you go get Rahab and you go get her family and you bring them out. Now here's a question. Where did Rahab live? Where was her house? Remember we talked about that? Where was it? In the wall. What did God do to the wall? He knocked the walls down. What does that mean? Her house was not destroyed. This is important. This is the picture. These walls fell, but all of her family, read the text, went inside their house and shut the door. 
So that means when the angels of God knocked the walls down, they walked, knocked all the walls down except where Rahab was. And so, you've got to ask the question. Man, when Rahab heard the horns, I wonder what she heard. The instructions, bring her out. So in the midst of God's justice, you see this one who turned to Yahweh and Yahweh alone, saved. This is the gospel. This is the invitation that we give to everybody. See, God fights the battle. We obey by faith. So what? Are you battling from Christ's victory that he's won for you? So I want you to see this. I want you to look at this in, in God's word. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians 2 verse 14. 2 Corinthians 2.14 Let's know what Paul is saying. He said, But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. Verse 15 For we are the aroma of Christ to God amongst those who are being saved and amongst those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death, and to other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? Let's come back where we started. The Christian life is one of both war and peace. And, and here's the, the picture. It's, it's something that you almost have to wrestle with when you first hear it. Uh, picture that most people believe that Paul is painting is something that everybody would have had a picture of. It was the Roman victory parade. When they come in from winning a battle, they would, they would come in, they would walk, do a parade and they would be having incense that everybody would smell and they would have all of the people they captured walking in. Ironically, here's what Paul is doing. He is painting himself and with him us as a joyful captive of Christ marching into the city of God. So this is his life. It wasn't a captive thinking that his head was about to be cut off. He was a joyful captive. Because he knew the commander. This is the story of Jericho is not just about you overcoming your personal challenges in life. That's the way Americans always apply it. What Paul is telling us, this is a kingdom battle, and it is a kingdom victory. There is a city of God that awaits for the people of God. And we're heading there. And here's the truth. You smell like something today. No, I'm not telling, talking about whether you took a bath or not. <laughs> I'm saying in Christ... That's what he's saying. The, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ causes a particular scent that comes out of believers. And here's the truth. Some people think it smells good. And other people think you stink. And you need to be expecting either response in this life. We are called. Our job is to obey. Let's return back to Rahab in that room when all the walls fell down except for her house 
right, one little section. What did she hear when the shofar was blowing? What was going on in her mind? Did it sound good or did it sound bad? You see, for most of the people in the city, that sound might have terrified them. It probably about the fourth day was just sort of confusing. What in the world are they doing? It doesn't make any sense at all. They hadn't even thrown one rock at us. Oftentimes when we share the gospel and love people and try to help people follow Jesus, we get the same responses. Sometimes they'll reject us. Sometimes they'll attack us. Sometimes they just ridicule you. Sometimes they'll scoff you. Sometimes they'll marginalize you. What I mean by that is they'll put you outside the social circle and ostracize you. This is the battle. This is more than just what we're struggling with personally. Sometimes when we try to help people follow Christ and we share the gospel with them, they will listen at first, but they won't persevere. And we'll labor and labor and walk around that wall and they'll just one day walk away. Sometimes those that we love the most in our life won't listen to us. That's probably the greatest Jericho in a lot of our life. Oh, that they would experience the peace and joy now. God's going to knock the wall down one day. But here's the truth. Some will believe. This is the mission in your life, and you don't have another one. Everything else in your life is a means to get you on that mission. John 1.11 says this, that Jesus came to his own, and his own people didn't receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. They were born of God. The battle belongs to him. Our job is to simply blow the horn of victory and shout the message of the gospel because justice and mercy belong to him. And so, brothers and sisters, now you're called to respond. You respond. And as we get ready to come to the tables, I ask you as we sing this song to let us first reflect and meditate on what we deserved, but on what Christ gave us. And then let us resolve to live by faith. So let us praise the God of our salvation and our strength. Let's pray. And so, God, now we have heard your word. and Some of it was awesome. and Some of it was hard. But it was all your word. So, God, we need only now to respond. For, Lord, we're all going to respond. Lord, if there's some in the room who thought they could enter into your presence simply by adopting some kind of religious ritual, I pray, Lord, that you would help them see their sin and see your son and repent and put your faith, their faith in him.
And Lord, for those of us, like we asked next week, Lord, last week, that just need to be revived in you, Lord, I pray that you would do that work. Uh, Lord, if there is anything in us, in me, that I need to lay down that is robbing me of my joy in you, that is between me and you, Lord, would you forgive me? Would you bring that to my attention so I could lay it down? I want to carry it. God, nobody in this room does. But Lord, may we celebrate. May we, as it were, blow our jubilant horns that you've given us, Lord, of our victory in Christ, of our identity, of our purpose, of our destiny has been resolved, has been settled. So Lord, we worship you for that, for now, for that. You'll be worshiped in this place in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand and sing, please. Thank you.